0: This is The Conversation. I'm Bill Dorman and today for Catherine Cruz. Today we're talking about funding conservation efforts in Hawaii. Our guests this morning include Ken Hayes. He's an invertebrate biologist and the director of the Pacific Center for Molecular Biodiversity at the Bishop Museum in Honolulu. Joining us today in his capacity as a research scientist studying the biodiversity crisis and its impacts in Hawaii and the broader Indo-Pacific. And Jack Kittinger of Conservation International joins us by phone. He serves as the vice president of the Global Fisheries and Aquaculture Program in the organization's Center for Oceans and has been working towards a visitor green fee in Hawaii for the past five years. We would also like to hear from you this morning. What are your thoughts about paying for environmental protection in the state? You can call us at 808-941-3689 if you're calling from Oahu, or 1-877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands or elsewhere. You can also email us at talkback at And gentlemen, thank you both for uh, joining us uh, today on this discussion, and Jack, let me start with you, with work that that your group has done about projections about the needs side of this story. Conservation International says that every year in Hawaii, we are short some $360 million of what is needed to fund conservation efforts. Um, I guess to start with on the metric, how how did you arrive at that particular number?
1: Well, first, thanks for having me on. Uh, It was a complicated, actually, exercise to estimate the total funding that we have here in Hawaii to preserve our environment. We tallied the inputs that different state and federal agencies put into resource management. Things like the uh, EPA or the um, uh, Department of Land and Natural Resources, for example, they have a remit uh, to focus on environmental stewardship and natural resource management. So we can look at those budgets, those public financing budgets, and sort of pull out what parts of that financing stream is dedicated towards natural resource management. Sometimes it's pretty straightforward, Um, and sometimes you have to sort of peel apart which programs and different agencies really are focused on stewardship, for example. Uh, And then the harder part was actually trying to estimate the private and philanthropic inputs. Uh, We have lots of great philanthropic groups and organizations across Hawaii. Many of them give to the environment. Uh, some of them sort of make that giving very public some of it's not known but and all all in all we looks like we currently fund around a little over 500 million dollars a year that's quite a lot of funding but our need is more close to 900 million dollars a year and uh, that leaves us with a 40 percent deficit in our conservation efforts which is quite frankly why we continue to see our ecosystems and species decline
0: and on your assumptions on the needs side, where do those where do those come from?
1: That's a little hard. Um, again, it's, it's sort of cobbled together from different sources. Some mm-hmm. folks have estimated, for example, how much we need for watershed maintenance. Um, we have some estimates for things like coral reefs, and we've put all those together. Uh, the big, of course, I guess, elephant in the room is climate change, which is going to mm-hmm alter that, uh, that fundamental thesis and what we need to invest to add, adapt to the challenges that the climate crisis is posing.
0: Ken, uh, let me ask you on a, on a big picture. You were talking about uh, conservation earlier and conservation as a triage science as opposed to a preventative science. Talk a bit more about that and how that impacts, frames this discussion really.
2: Sure. Thanks, Bill. Um, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, so uh, I think many would agree that uh, conservation science um, and conservation in general globally is really primarily focused on triage. In other words, just trying to deal with um, the, the the crises that's in front of us, the loss of biodiversity, the loss of ecosystem functions, the loss of natural resources, on all of which we depend. Um, and, and as I see it, and many will argue that We need additional resources, including additional research, to shift that from one of triage, where we're just sort of maintaining the status quo to um, developing it to be a more preventative science, right? And the analogy that's always thrown about when we have these discussions is that of, you know, fighting fires, right? So fighting fires involves more than just putting out fires. It involves, you know, developing new technologies, Uh, doing research on what causes fires, how to prevent them, and also how to restore habitats after they've burned. So all of that needs to come into play in in conservation as well. And the the difficulty is getting out ahead of that, like getting beyond triage, beyond sort of just manning the lifeboats and figuring out what we're going to do with those taxa or with the ecosystems in the future.
0: What you're touching on there, and uh, Jack, there's an element of this in, in what you mentioned as well, is again, on the big picture of, of education, of changing a way of thinking about this. And, and Jack, I'm going to start with you because you you brought up climate change, which really is acting as an accelerant on on so many aspects of that. How does that change as you try to make your case for, for greater attention to this? Uh, How how does that change the framing of your your discussions in this area?
1: Well, it changes it a lot because it accelerates some of the threats that we know are so important in driving conservation outcomes, namely declines in what Ken was just talking about, ecosystem function, species viability, and habitat quality. Um, I like to think about nature as our green infrastructure in this way. It's our life support system. It has immense cultural and social value that you know, really defies estimation. But people have often put numbers on the value of you know, our reefs, our forests, and they're in the billions in terms of the asset value. So we think about our built infrastructure and how we have to adapt that. We also have to take care of our green infrastructure, because if we don't take care of the ecosystems, to put it simply, they can't take care of us. And that's, that's a, a, a kind of life support style system that we need to maintain, and we need to certainly invest resources commensurate with the challenges, and the climate issues will certain, certainly exacerbate some of our conservation problems here in the islands.
0: Ken, as you work within the, the education side of that and, and drawing people's attention to this, it's sometimes a little more difficult for some folks to to visualize rather than you know i talking about infrastructure highways people can see and but the concept of biodiversity and the importance of that how do you frame that and make that case
2: well I, I just would like to echo you know Jack's sentiments and that is that this really is our green infrastructure and it is the life support system on which we rely I mean and it's, it's really obvious here in Hawaii, if you just take around and look at you, like we get, we rely on the, the, these ecosystems for our existence here in these islands, and it drives tourism as well. I mean, our biggest economy driver. But from an education standpoint, I think that's one of the biggest areas where we really can make um, sustainable long-term change by addressing the perception problem and, and people's understanding in the islands about what these ecosystems provide. Um, and I, I think that starts at, you know, sort of very early on. Um, I, I see a direct connection between what what kids are learning in grade school. My, you know, uh, five-year-old son's in kindergarten, and I see what he's learning and the direct connection between it and how legislators end up voting that, that represent us, right? If, if you're not taught these things early on and it's not explained to you early on, then you have no sort of understanding a value of it, right? And as Jack mentioned, there's immense cultural value, immense uh, sort of um, sustainability issues that, that are wrapped in this. And without that understanding, and um, we just can't save what we don't know
0: green infrastructure, one of the things we're talking about, and how to pay for that as well here in Hawaii. like to hear your views. You can call us from Oahu, 808-941-3689, or you can call Neighbor Islands toll-free, 1-877-941-3689. You can also send us an email at talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org. Um, and, uh, you know, talking about that about conservation funding, um, can you have spent a good deal of your career researching invertebrates? And uh, again, for those of us with foggy memories of high school biology creatures without backbones uh, including for example native land snails i know a big uh, area of folks for you but invertebrates generally make up more than than 95% of animal species you're saying 97 to 99% but y- you don't hear about them all that often in, in a broader sense and in a in almost a uh, if not lobbying sense, uh, yeah. part of that, that education piece. The, the relative level of funding going right. to invertebrates and in, in your work area, talk a bit about that.
2: Yeah, this is probably the area where um, I'm most uh, familiar and I spend most of my time sort of really advocating for a change in our perceptions. And you're right, so it's estimated right now that um, there may be as many as 10 million species on the planet. In you know, after many hundreds of years of discovering and describing species and putting names on them, we still only know about 25%. So 75% of life on this planet is undiscovered or unknown, at least to a, in a modern science sense way. I mean, there may be people that are aware of them. And the problem with that is, is that the vast majority of that is, are, are invertebrates. Like we know I'd say 99.9% of all the mammals, and we we can actually in some cases count every individual. But the vast majority of invertebrates we know almost nothing about. Um, And that's just, again, part of this direct perception problem. We're not taught about them early on and taught about their roles, in part because we don't know about them. But in terms of funding from from a research, from a conservation, from almost every aspect, we often refer to invertebrates as the ne- neglected majority, right? They they drive most of the ecosystem functions on the planet, yet receive very minimal um, funding research for either conservation or just funding in general.
0: And this is another area I'm imagining in terms of climate change. I mean, bees are an invertebrate example that, that are often brought up with this. But mm-hmm. there are other examples, I'm sure, within where we find ourselves in the climate crisis that invertebrates are a very important part of this
2: absolutely i mean i don't think anyone would argue that you know there may be you know if if there's say eight million invertebrates on the planet invertebrate animals that um you know a vast majority of them may have very little roles or we know very little about what their roles are but there are a large percentage of them they're going to be vitally important to the, the, the ecosystem functions that we're trying to save and provide insights into sort of the the impacts of climate change and how we might mediate them.
0: have been hearing about some of the issues here and uh, we invite you to join us with uh, calling in on our program 808-941-3689 from Oahu and toll free 877-941-3689. Also this idea of how to for some of the issues that we need to increasingly deal with, uh, given uh, climate change and developments uh, here in Hawaii. And uh, again, we've had a, a caller a bit uh, earlier from Hawaii Island, who has a viewpoint on that.
3: Hi, this is Corey from Hilo with ideas for conservation funding. A green fee on all airline and cruise ship tickets larger fines for conservation violations and don't let people off the hook, fees at parks for non-residents, educate visitors and residents how to treat the land well, have property tax laws that encourage conservation on private land, Um, look at how funding happens in other places, have a contest for funding ideas, and last, ask musicians to write songs about a place and donate royalties to conservation. Thank you.
0: And thank you, Corey. Uh, Jack, I'm going to turn to you because I know that green fees, uh, that, that's a, a concept in green fee, not, uh, not in the golf course kind of way, but uh, for payment. This is something that, that you've spent a good deal of time looking at and looking at how it might apply to Hawai'i.
1: That's right. We've um, One of the benefits of working for a global organization is that we can look at models that happen in other geographies and think about how we might adapt those here at home in Hawaii. And green fees are becoming more and more prevalent across the world. Uh, A great example that's sort of in our backyard is the Republic of Palau. Uh, Palau is, like us, a Pacific Island archipelago. And when you go to Palau, as I did uh, about a month ago, you pay a hundred green fee. It's called their pristine paradise environmental fee. And that funding then supports conservation in Palau. Um, Now, so we've looked at this. We've looked at about 12 different systems across the world, everything from the Galapagos to New Zealand to Palau and more. Some of these systems are at the whole country level, like Palau's. Some of them are subnational. And uh, we've sort of picked and through those different systems and evaluated them, and it it looks like this could be workable for Hawaii. It would take some policy changes to do so. We have some limitations that are specific to Hawaii in our own legal system, but we see that this has had a huge impact in so many other places in helping stand up and fully support conservation efforts.
0: We're going to be getting back to that and talk a little bit. We're going to talk a little bit also about the politics involved in this. Uh, you're listening to The Conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. I'm Bill Dorman in for Catherine Cruz. You can join our discussion, too, by calling one 877 Stay with us. We'll be back right after a brief break.
4: Support for The Conversation comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors, Bavarian Motor Experts, and Chaminade University. Amazon knows a lot about you. All your buying history, your future buys, your credit card information, all that stuff.
3: But Amazon's system for keeping all that data?
1: It was all put together with tape and bubble gum.
3: Exposing the data of millions of Amazon
4: customers to, well, we don't know quite who, on the next reveal. Beginning this evening at 7, following Bite Marks Cafe. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from Hawaii Care Choices in Hilo, serving East Hawaii, offering palliative, hospice, and bereavement care with openings for healthcare and administrative positions. Application at hawaiicarechoices.org. Thank you.
0: Aloha and welcome back to The Conversation. If you're just joining us, we're talking about conservation funding in Hawaii. We'd love to hear from you, including what you think about how to pay for it. You can call us at 808-941-3689 or toll free from the neighbor islands, 1-877-941-3689. We have a caller, uh, Josh, in uh, Honolulu, who's with the uh, DLNR Division of Forestry and Wildlife. and. Um, just finding out about a, uh, a program that is uh, now a new portal that has come out. Uh, nature lovers being able to celebrate Giving Tuesday with a do- new donation opportunity giving back to the land. It's a, uh, it's a first for the DLNR, Division of Forestry and Wildlife and is an alternative way to experience and, and support uh, natural uh, areas. And uh, Josh, thanks for, uh, for giving us word about this.
3: Yeah, thanks so much for taking my call. And uh, I really appreciate the broader discussion on funding policy and different ways to support uh, our ecosystems here in Hawaii. Um, I just wanted to add in that we had just put out this announcement yesterday through uh, a news release that we now have a direct donation option. And so in addition to kind of the the broader policy things that are being discussed, we do now have a way for direct user donations uh, specifically to support the natural area reserve system, which is something that the Division of Forestry and Wildlife manages. We have about 23 natural area reserves statewide that comprise some of our most unique ecosystems and then habitat for some of our most uh, unique native species. So that's something that um, can be added into the mix of ways to support uh, conservation work in Hawaii. And thanks for letting me contribute that comment.
0: Mahalo, Josh. And I should let our uh, audience know that you can go to dlnr.hawaii.gov slash ecosystems. And if you have the tolerance for another uh, slash N-A-R-S slash donate, uh, that will get you to the forum. But uh, that's all at D-L-N-R dot And, you um, know, Ken, in terms of when you look at the different threads of education, because we were talking about sort of getting this word out in a, in a broader sense to people, because people, once it, once they – a lot of times find out the gravity of the situation and how so many things touch on this. They want to get involved. What are ways forward in that direction?
2: That's a really good question. And it's it's a really complex one. And I think it touches on, you know, not only the, the resources that we need, so increasing those number of resources and the creative ways we've got to go about doing that, but also how we allocate them, right? So how we spend the time. Um, doing that, and so a lot of the information needed to educate the general public and and bring those to schools and to the museums and to universities and other things are really just lacking, right? We don't we don't know enough, and and that really is sort of this uh, funding mechanisms as well as the allocation of those. But but some of the creative ways to do that is uh, in particular what we do is to engage um, the, the community at all levels uh, of education, from grade schoolers all the way up through sort of citizen scientist and really try to sort of get them to really understand not just the gravity of the situation because that, that happens quite often if people are sort of overwhelmed with how depressing this is. <laughs> I mean, you know, we often talk about needing therapy in, in conservation science because we just deal with it constantly and it's so uh, tough on you. But I, I think also just informing them about the the, the amazing the wonderment of it all. Like, I mean, it's just incredible that we occupy this planet with, you know, another 10 million species, and and we have so little knowledge of what their roles are. And I think people and human beings as a species are enthralled, or enthralled with uh, the, the wonderment of it. And I think it, it, teaching them to love that and appreciate that is, is will go a long way to helping um, solve some of the problems. I mean, it's obviously not gonna do everything.
0: But Ken, I think you bring up a very important point, which is not. Yielding to a to a hopelessness, yeah. because there are things that that can be done. There are uh, steps that that can be taken. And, and Jack, I'm going to circle back to you on this idea of green fees because this is something that in your work you have uh, you have brought uh, before the, the the legislature, for instance, the way the legislature considered uh, this adding a green fee for uh, for for tourists and uh, did not. Uh, did not carry through uh i noticed in looking through some of the testimony on this in the in the past uh, it, because it, it did it passed out of the out of the senate uh but not um not all the way through in terms of the last session and there was a lot of testimony in in favor of and and um and using phrasing, and I'm going to quote actually from the uh, Hawaii Tourism Authority, John DeFreeze, saying that uh, HTA agrees in principle with the intent of this bill, uh, but concerns about the uh, about the mechanism for collecting uh, the new uh, this new fee, uh, and also caution about taxes, fee increases that could adversely affect the the relaunch of uh, of tourism. So. In terms of this, this ongoing discussion, what's, what's your response to, uh, to, to that sort of criticism?
1: Well, the collection mechanism is certainly the hardest part of doing it in Hawaii. Um, to take the listeners back, when we started this journey in 2015-2016, really looking at this idea and looking at what other geographies were doing, um, you know, at that time, which pre-pandemic, we had something like, I think it's 10.4 million visitors. It was over 10 million visitors, Mm -hmm. right? Yes. And the idea at that time that you would somehow stop every visitor before they came in was totally crazy. Mm -hmm. And now of course, the idea that we won't stop people that come in, um, you know, because of the pandemic is crazy. So times have really changed with the tourism industry has been hit hard. And of course that's hit our communities. Um, what we've seen in other programs, in other places, is that a visitor green fee is not only a way to collect revenue, but it is a way to engage visitors and to educate them. What Ken was talking about in terms of creating opportunities. And that's a really great opportunity for us to really rethink sustainable tourism and to uh, for the industry to really help differentiate Hawaii as an eco-friendly you know, green destination. So as we think about greening our the whole tourism experience here, the green fee isn't just a way to collect funding. It's also a way to sort of engage visitors as they come to our islands. And we've seen that have a really positive impact in a lot of other places and something we could draw on here too.
0: Engaging visitors, uh, that, that's such a crucial uh, part of this, as you say, not just a revenue source, um, but something that also can continue beyond an initial visit, potentially. Uh, you, can, uh, you can call in and join this discussion. We'd love to hear what you think and what you think in terms of funding. And we'll get to a little bit in terms of um, what, uh, Ken, you were talking about the importance of private contributions as, as well as government funding. What do you think? Uh, give us a call. 808-941-3689 from Oahu or Neighbor Islands, toll-free, You can also drop us an email at uh, talkback at But uh, Ken Jack talks about the, the importance of, of engagement, and yes, engagement on, on tourism, on visitors on, on one level, but also um, beyond government funding, the the importance of the private sector within this?
2: Yeah, I think that's a really critical component of this. I mean, for a very long time, I think we've looked towards our government to be able to fund the things that we need to do. And I, I don't think we can look away from that. I mean, the government does have a responsibility and there there are things that um, they need to help manage and our taxes and, and fees need to go to. But at the same time, we, we are in a crisis situation, not just a climate crisis, but a biodiversity crisis, and you know it, it's pretty grim. Um, but there are those with the resources and the willingness, if they're just informed and engaged, to make a difference. And I, I think that's another, uh, I, I, I hate to use the term, but a revenue stream. We, we need to look at engaging those people in various ways to bring to bear um, on, on the problem. Um, Definitely. Nothing
0: Nothing wrong with revenue streams, by the way no no, um, no, definitely not, but and you're you're talking about the uh, the idea of biosecurity and the, uh, the invasive species being a part of biosecurity. Uh, Chelsea Arnott uh, works as a planner for the Hawaii Invasive Species Council. She does a lot of analysis in that position, including the comparative cost of funding biosecurity versus allowing invasive species to become established in Hawaii.
3: If we move forward with implementing every action identified in the biosecurity plan, that on a yearly basis across 10 years is $38 million per year. And and that's just a drop in the bucket, like you said, compared to something like brown tree snake coming and establishing in Hawaii or little fire ants establishing across the state or myconia spreading throughout all of our watersheds and wiping out our native ecosystems and causing hydrologic damage and damaging, you know, our main source of drinking water across the state. Yeah, it's just a drop in the bucket.
0: And, uh, you know, Ken, you were talking uh, before in terms of triage versus preventative, but also, Jack, from your perspective on the politics of this, it's sometimes difficult to frame costs that are more difficult to, uh, to spell out to see. But, but that, that point about biosecurity and the cost of invasive species afterwards, that's part of this discussion as well, right? Right.
1: I mean, Chelsea's points are, are right on. The cost of preventing is in a way outweigh the cost of having to react and manage. Um, so many of these invasive species have just torn up our ecosystems and disrupted uh, our native flora and fauna. I, I think the politics of trying to green fee is evolving. You know, I think five years ago this was sort of a moonshot idea. Now that we've sort of looked at it as a community, and that's a conversation that continues to happen. Uh, and evolve, it's becoming more feasible. Uh, the The possibility of establishing one, one has been considered twice in the last two legislative sessions in the last two years. Um, there will be bills introduced this year as well. Um, it has to be something that the community together creates. And, of course, if we do create it, we have to be very intentional about how we spend the money. So to Ken's points about triage, um, you know, if we're able to establish a fund that Green fees uh, flow into and then deploy those into our various needs in the conservation sector. We'll have to be very uh, savvy about how we do that, and we'll have to do that in an inclusive, community-driven way as well—one that benefits the tourism sector, our communities, um, the conservation professionals working across the islands, et cetera.
0: And speaking of reaction from the community, we've got a caller on the line, Asa from uh, Mano. Oh Go shit! Ahead.
1: This is me. Wait, everyone, fly Sorry, ASA Hi, If you can hear me, uh, I'm calling in from Manoa, and my friends and I are interested in creating a green tax that is uh, thrown onto airport um, uh, costs such that any time that you're buying a uh, airline ticket, you'll be uh, paying a fee specifically for conservation such that conservationists are paid a uh, living wage in Hawaii.
0: Thank you,. so that's uh, boy, two important points on that, uh, one being uh, in terms of the the fee itself and uh, Jack, you had mentioned how in in palau that's that's done on airlines, but also the broader point of uh, of a li- living wage for uh, for folks working in this field and Ken i'm I'm looking at you on that because I know that, that that's that's a real issue that you've identified.
2: yeah, it definitely is. and I think Jack makes a good point and sort of the caller in that. Um, we have to be really careful, even if we can come up with the money. Once we get the money, it really is about how do we allocate it and how do we manage it and get it to the places that are needed. It, it isn't just a matter of scaling up. It, do, it just doesn't work that way. Um, it's a matter of scaling up and then um, looking at priorities and sustainability of, of uses of those fees. And I think that's one of the, the big difficulties. But But in terms of Hawaii conservation careers, right? There, it's uh, I, I had a colleague from a long time ago that was a mentor once said that Hawaii eats its own in terms of uh, conservation uh, uh, resources. And uh, that's a real big problem because it, it, it's often not sustainable, at least not in the long term. Many, many people well-trained and impassioned about it uh, leave the field far too soon.
0: And, and Jack, on the political side of this as well, this is not just a conservation issue, this is a jobs issue. This is, you know, we, we talk ourselves silly uh, uh, about sustainable jobs in, in Hawaii and in areas playing to our strength, uh, and this certainly would seem to be a good example of that. Uh, your thoughts in this area?
1: Yeah, thanks. The, um, look, if we establish a visitor green fee, and create a fund, we will create jobs, um, possibly hundreds, maybe thousands of jobs. If we have a $50, person, $50 per person green fee that gets implemented, that will establish thousands of jobs in the sector. And it will secure those because we'll have a secure funding stream. Uh, we can't, unfortunately, put a fee on an airline ticket, as the caller suggests. Uh, there's federal legislation that prevents that. Uh, you can't have an airport tax, but that, that tax has to be used for the airport itself. Uh, so unfortunately, that's not really an option available, um, not just to Hawaii, but to any state. Uh, so there's the collection mechanism. come back to that. That's, that still becomes the mechanism. Uh, it is perfectly legal, by the way, to charge people for using the environment. We do that at a site level and um, we could potentially do that at the state level. We just have to be careful about how we collect it. Um, but yeah, the job thesis is key here. and. One of the great examples of that was uh, when the federal legislation was passed, the Stimulus Act, we had a great program here called the INA Corps that a local nonprofit, Kupu, established. And they created hundreds of jobs uh, during the pandemic, the early stages of it. And their stories of the sort of transformative effect that those jobs had, not just for the individuals, but for the projects and the ecosystems that they were working on, are just amazing. We need to do that at scale, essentially.
0: We're going to be talking more about jobs and more about uh, funding uh, economic funding the conservation side of life here in Hawaii. You're listening to The Conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. You can join our discussion calling one eight seven seven i am Bill Dorman in for Catherine Cruz today. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
4: Support for The Conversation comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributor Hastings and Pleadwell, a communication company. Of the next fresh air, an interview with some performance by Dave Grohl, founder of the band Foo Fighters, which was just inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Inducted by Paul McCartney, who called Foo Fighters one of the greatest rock and roll bands in the world. The first time Grohl was inducted was when he was the drummer for Nirvana. Join us. Beginning this afternoon at 3, following On Point. Support for HPR comes from HomeWorks Construction, a full-service design-build firm that specializes in new homes, additions, and ADUs, accessory dwelling units. Recent projects and portfolio at HomeWorksConstruction.com.
0: Welcome back to The Conversation. If you're just joining us, we're talking about conservation funding here in the state of Hawaii. Love to hear your thoughts, including about how you think, what would be a good way to pay for that. You can call us at 808-941-3689 or toll-free from neighbor islands, 1-877-941-3689. Talking about tourism and funding conservation, Jacob Conroy owns the Loa Octopus Farm on the Big Island. He's been trying to figure out a way to raise Hawaiian cephalopods through their entire life cycle. One application would be restocking wild breeding populations here. He says he's not even sure that he'll see the outcome of his research within his lifetime. And that in and of itself can be a hard sell for many would-be financial backers. But in order to have a steady stream of funding, he
5: conducts eco-tours at his facility in Kona. I was influenced to start thinking about starting this business after the Great Recession because there was just no grant funding available. And, you know, as a researcher, I realized I don't have a lot of job security. If the federal government goes back and forth and argues and says, we need to fund this, or or, or, or we don't need to fund this, I'm at the whim of, of politics. I really wanted to do Eco tours, which is a popular thing to do in Kona. There's a lot of different eco tours, coffee farms, things like that, in order to fund it. And so that honestly has has been the best way that I can think of to really support the research. And uh, the state is very supportive. Uh, Nelha, the Natural Energy Lab of Hawaii Authority, they really like the idea of bringing in outside tourist money to fund research and uh create jobs and have that money stay here in hawaii
0: and jack i know in terms of areas that you have looked at this uh this must strike a chord with you certainly
1: yeah it's part of the sort of greening the visitor experience i think and um there's a whole range of things going on in that space the the sector has just gone through such a shock And, you know, that's had a big impact on so many uh, parts of the the visitor industry, from transportation, the airlines to local tour operators and, of course, hotels and other things. So as this system sort of rebuilds, uh, there's a way to rebuild it, I think, that sort of builds in stewardship and environmental awareness and cultural elements into the visitor experience as we come out of this pandemic, hopefully. And... um, you know I think the leadership we have at Hawaii Tourism Authority is fantastic. Uh, they've got a tough job the whole sector really does um, but really the thing that's I think it's the biggest opportunity is that the conservation and the tourism sectors see the same challenge and that is that if we do not preserve our ecosystems we're not going to have a tourism sector and we're certainly going to have a huge impact on our communities so we have a we have common cause in trying to find models that, um, that, that that do that. And the green fee is one way to sort of plug the financing gap that we have. It's not the only way, um, but it looks like a very good solution and one that, uh, quite frankly, a lot of other geographies uh, are showing us the advantages of that. We have to create a homegrown system here that works for our own community.
0: And, Ken, as you look at... Uh not only something like it, like eco tours and all of that, but, but the study of conservation and as applied specifically in Hawaii and growing that as a field, what from your perspective is, is needed most urgently at this point?
2: I think uh, Jack hits upon it when he says that, you know, the, the, the tourism side and the conservation side are sort of intimately linked, and they need to come up with a common solution. And I actually think that's a way to address the the, bro- the broader education as well. And I think we can do that through uh, a variety of these initiatives, but getting conservation agencies, TNC, the Watershed Partnerships, the Invasive Species Council, Bishop Museum, University of Hawaii, Dillon, all of these to kind of work together with tourism to come up with ways that not only make use of a revenue stream that can be built through this, but to broadly educate and inform the public and engage them. And, I, I, you know, we have a number of ideas and things that the Bishop Museum is trying to do on that front. One of them is a, a Hawaii Master Naturalist program that we're trying to develop to help train volunteers and those interested in in a variety of different conservation issues. And I think my my work with, you know, folks from across the, the spectrum in conservation, I, the one refrain I hear is that they wish more people understood what was involved. And, and um, you know, while they obviously want more money, but they wish people had a better understanding of the, the complex, integrative nature of the way an ecosystem works to provide the kind of services. And it's not just a matter of putting up a fence and keeping pigs out. I mean, that's part of it. But you've got to do other things, and, and we've got to have the, the underlying funding to be able to do those other things to really restore those ecosystems. And the only real way to do that is is through a broader education program that engages the public in the solutions.
0: And to go deeper in yeah. terms of that, that specific education. This is uh, Ken Hayes, by the way. He's an invertebrate biologist, a research scientist working in biodiversity. Director of the Pacific Center for Molecular Biodiversity at the Bishop Museum here in Honolulu. Also on the line with us today, Jack Kittinger of Conservation International. He's Vice President of the Global Fisheries and Aquaculture Program. Uh, Hearing from uh, some of you, uh, Mrs. Gray, who's not on the line right now, but uh, wrote in from the east side of uh, Honolulu or actually gave a call. She's got a question for uh, you gentlemen. How realistic is it for the state to reestablish native floral and fauna? Is this a realistic alternative or not and And if so, what's the uh, funding in needs in in manpower and, and fiscal dollars and, and Ken I'll, I know that you uh, you spend some time tromping around the uh, the wildlands' <laughs> we'll start what do you what are your thoughts on that
2: I think as a it's a great question because it's one we grapple with all the time. Mm. Um, it, it, how realistic is it? Well, it just depends on to what level, right? There's a whole field of restoration ecology and, and that grapples with this question all the time as to what are you restoring it to. Um, but I think more to the point is we, we don't have a choice. We, we need to restore some of it. I mean, we're mm-hmm. going to lose a lot. We've already lost a lot. Um, we, we've lost anywhere from 50 to say 90% of some of our Hawaiian land snails that are endemic to the islands. And, you know, we're not gonna ever get those back, but the, the real point of this is to figure out what we have left and what can we save and, and how to prioritize some of that, right? And that really is fundamentally going to come from a better, a deeper understanding of biodiversity and how climate change and all these other interactions uh, play together to sort of
0: maintain ecosystem functions and services. Jack, any thoughts on that when it comes to uh, native floral and fauna?
1: Well, Ken certainly is the expert here. Um, the only thing I'd add to this is that, uh, to build on what Ken said, is you know, it, it's an expensive proposition to do this, right? But we have the know-how, we have the expertise, and we could certainly create a lot of green jobs doing that. Um, restoring forests is vital, not only because of the species and how unique they are and their interactions, but also because it's our water factory. So it's quite expensive for us to build water desalinization plants as well. So that's a trade-off that we hope we don't have to make. So restoring, um, our forest ecosystems also supports our, our water security, for example. And there's all sorts of win-wins like that across the conservation spectrum that we need to be aware of. And of course, we have to fund them at the right scale in order to uh, preserve the future for our kids here.
0: Back to, back to that point in terms of funding at the, at the right scale. Uh, Springer K serves as a program manager for the Big Island Invasive Species Committee. The group is facing a budget shortfall uh, for this coming year of about $220,000. Again, that's a, that's a number, that's a budget figure, that's a, a budget situation. But that number itself, as we've been talking about this morning, tells really what is a much broader story.
1: With a small organization, a whole program might be run by one specialist. quarter of a million dollars, that's four positions. That could be four whole programs, like our entire little fire ant education program, just gone, or our entire nursery endorsement program that teaches uh, nursery owners to recognize and not import invasive plants and plant pests. That could just be gone. (laughs) And unfortunately, as we learned in the last economic downturn, when these positions are cut, we don't necessarily get them back. That specialized, highly educated person has gone on with their life. We don't necessarily have the funds to ramp back up the moment where uh, leaders in the legislature or others are willing to fund that kind of work may have passed. So it can mean that those programs are gone forever.
0: Again, just a reminder that that involves a lot more than just simple budgets and programs. but. Jack, again, back to the idea of when you frame this and, and when you put a sense of urgency on this. Is there something, for, and I'm just going to point it to this coming legislative session because this is what we're looking at. Uh, what's your strategy? What is different? What has shifted? What has changed? And, and what remains the same for you?
1: Well, our strategy at Conservation International has really been to analyze the policy options available to our decision makers and to assess that in such a way that the best options are available to be acted on. Um, what the, that little excerpt illustrates is something that we see across the landscape, which is that our sector is shovel ready, but it is just not funded at a scale to actually meet the challenges. So if it's the spread of an invasive species that's highly disruptive or it's the erosion of a coastline or the decline of a coral reef that's been subjected to bleaching uh, because of the climate crisis, all these things need competent managers and and experts in the field. And we have those experts, and we can build a green workforce around that. Um, but we've got to change the way we finance the sector. Right now, it is – basically financed by state, federal, and some private and philanthropic funding. Uh, Those budgets, of course, took a hit uh, during the pandemic, Uh, but we're in a rebuilding phase now. And I, I see a lot of sense of urgency among our decision makers, and I see a lot more enthusiasm for the idea of this. And I also see it as a way to build back a better, stronger, more engaged tourist sector. And uh, are all pathways that we can do?
0: Thank you, jack. One one point on this in terms of jobs and uh, money we've been talking about. Daniel Weber is a uh, grad student in conservation biology. She says money's not the primary reason that people get into this field.
6: A uh, career in conservation in Hawaii will never make you rich, but you will be rich in experiences, and uh, it's very emotionally fulfilling. The work is physically demanding. And it can also be heartbreaking, but you're going to have a very full life because of the places where you're working and the relationships you get to build with native species and also with your field crew. I will say there's a lot more career opportunities coming up year by year. Kupu Hawaii is a great resource that's trying to create gateways for people to start building careers in conservation and uh, making it more of like a livable field to work in. Um, So I really recommend checking out kupuhawaii.org for people who are interested in exploring different opportunities in conservation. And then for people who want to volunteer, they can check out uh, conservationconnections.org. And there's a bunch of different nonprofits that post through that website.
0: A lot of information we've been going through this morning, and it's unfair. But, gentlemen, I'm going to give you 30 seconds each for closing thoughts. Jack, we're going to start with you.
1: Well, I just want to thank you for hosting this important discussion and dialogue. Um, I think you heard it in her voice. You know, conservation, for those of us who work in the sector, is more like a vocation than a profession. Um, We have to rise to the challenge. We have the ability to do that. We're at an interesting and very pivotal moment. Uh, in our journey, and it's going to take all hands on deck. It's going to really be a community-led effort that's going to carry us um, into the new future, where we okay. adapt and and figure out our conservation challenges and build a a better a better uh, set of ecosystems for our our cakey. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Ken.
2: Yeah, I just would echo uh, Jack's sentiments and thank you for putting this together and I think it's part of the, the solution, right? We, we've got to inform the public in a much more sort of broad, deep fashion and do it as quickly as we can because we are in a crisis mode and I think what we've discussed a lot of is providing the resources to um, do those things, uh, particularly engaging the public. I think the more we know, the more we're better positioned to save what, what remains.
0: Thank you, Ken Hayes, Invertebral Biologist, Pacific Center for Molecular Biodiversity at the Bishop Museum in Honolulu, Jack Kittinger of Conservation International. Thank you both and for your calls. You can still share a comment about today's show. You can call our talkback line, 808-792-8217. Send us an email at talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org. If you want to listen back to today's show, the conversation podcast at hawaiipublicradio.org. Tune in tomorrow, Splendid Table, Turkey Confidential, 10 to noon, and Friday at 11, a special program, Are Booster Shots Ethical? I'm Bill Dorman, Catherine Cruz returns Monday. Join us more of The Conversation. Mahalo.